Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. And that's Mo Pawn. Yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Mo, happy holidays. Eh. Mo, it's it's our December episode. <laughs> now that we've gone monthly, this is our December episode, which means the holiday season. I like how we didn't even talk about it. It's just sort of that's what it's become. It's, it's <laughs> December. Like, yeah, it's, we'll do. Well, when we made when we did our last episode in November, uh, you know, there was the potential that we could have done say two <clears throat> episodes in December. I mean, I know it's completely wacky to think about, but no. Yeah. Instead, we're recording this really, Mo, just a handful of days before Christmas Day. Yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> it's like I don't even celebrate. I, I, it's not my not my holiday. What do you celebrate, Mo? Uh, we haven't really gone into detail on your religious views, and I feel like this is the episode to do it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the perfect episode mm-hmm. to do. I'm, uh, well, I, I'm what some would call a militant atheist. Oh, so, uh, anti-theist. I, I don't like honestly. If there's any sort of like religious aspect to it, I have no real interest in it. So, and unfortunately, you know, Christmas is one of those things. I mean, I get my, and the big question I always get is, well, what about your kids? Don't you get your kids presents? I'm like, yes, I get my kids fucking presents. But I mean, like, I don't need a fucking holiday to, to buy my kids gifts. Mo, what's it but like, I do. what's it like, Mo, not to believe in anything? Uh, you know, it's very liberating. Mm-hmm. It's also very lonely. Mm. <laughs> you know. Well, there is one good especially, thing. Especially, especially down here in God's country. <laughs> you are in the, the lovely state of Florida, Mo. Now, what's the address that you're staying at? <laughs> oh, uh, that would be uh, one, 123 Fake Street. Uh, <laughs> Mo, I'm at this, the loneliest time of the year. You know, a lot of people, they mm. suffer from what's called seasonal depressive disorder. Yeah, I do, big yeah, time. Because this time of the year can get a, everyone can feel a little down. It's uh, especially. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I was actually really hoping that getting down here and being away from the snow, because I thought mm-hmm. the snow was a big a big trigger for it. It's not. Um, it's just as bad down here as it is up up in Connecticut. Do you think a contributing factor also, Mo, is that it's the year 2017 and everything is terrible? <laughs> yes it's been <laughs> a rough is, year i would say it's been a very fucking rough year so uh, in some ways i think that that could be a uh, a solve or a a remedy to our negative feelings we're rapidly approaching the end of this terrible year 2018 it's bound to be better you know they said that at the end of 2016 i, know. I remember saying remember. that myself <laughs> <laughs> what fools we were can't get any worse oh just just wait and see Mo, one good thing, one good remedy for uh, the blues, the the the, the winter blues, mm-hmm. is watching a movie. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what we did. 
we, we decided to combat uh, uh, any sort of negative feelings we may be uh, experiencing, and we decided, Mo, to watch a movie from the year 1992. A very good year, don't you think? Yeah, it was... I was 12 years old. 12 years old. I was also, I turned 12 in 1992. And what do you remember? Well, I turned, I turned 13 in yeah. 92. I, I don't know. Yeah. Nobody cares. But what? They, everybody cares. Everybody cares about all of my personal details. That's what everybody <laughs> wants to know. Nobody, nobody listens to this show to listen to you rant, Doug. They listen to about my personal details. Look, I understand that. That's why I don't reveal it. That's why I reveal so little about myself on this show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mo, what do you remember most about the year 1992, <laughs> a.k.a. the year punk broke? <laughs> I make that joke about every single year. <laughs> no, but what do you remember, 1992? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think the biggest things I remember was, I mean, that's around the time I started playing Dungeons & Dragons, because uh-huh. I'm not much of a nerd. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no joke. Um, I remember the Nickelodeon cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, I had very fond memories of those. I don't remember much else, honestly. And this is going to sound really bad because it's going to make my memory sound really shitty, but it's not. Uh, I a lot of repressed memories, but uh, uh, I don't remember a whole lot before I was sixteen. Oh, like I've got, like snippets of memories, you know. Like sn- it's like sixteen is when I kind of like broke out and like became one with the world. And, and but before that, I was just kind of like living and surviving. Well, do you know what I remember about 1992, Mo? Rock and roll radio? Yes, let's go. Uh, <laughs> I remember December 7th, 1992, a.k.a. Pearl Harbor Day. <laughs> when the uh, classic piece of cinema, Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell, by director Scott Shaw, was released. Wow. Is he one of the Shaw brothers? He, he's he's the uh, lesser known Shaw brothers. It's Run Run <laughs> and Scott. Unfortunately, t- didn't get a lot of the uh, the, the support or uh, or studio space that his brothers had. Or talent. Oh, now. Let's, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Mo. Because today oh, we... Oh, please. Today we're going to talk about Scott Shaw's Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell. A movie that mm-hmm. we did choose. I chose. Strictly... Based on the title, which is never a good idea, Mo. And why do we keep doing it? What's wrong with us? Because, come on, we're, we're such, like, carny trash, you know? Like, like we get so hyped up with the with the, 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 the showmanship aspect of it that like the actual product never really comes into mind when we when we make these choices. Like we hear these grandiose, ridiculous titles. It's the exact same reason why we picked barely legal legal lesbian vampires. <laughs> because the title <laughs> was so amazing, you know? And, and like there's so many movies that we've been chosen based on the title alone and they've almost universally fucked us well and this is just another one to add to the list mo earlier i was looking in the mirror and suddenly my head it switched from being my head and it turned into a a giant candy and it said all day sucker on it (laughs) what do you think about that (laughs) that's how i felt after watching samurai vampire bikers from hell now in our defense we were not just suckered in by the title but also the tagline which says it's all the hell you can handle and the plot, which involved a character named Alexander Hell. Yeah, yeah, we we came to learn real quick that uh, that this Shaw fellow has uh, has a real knack for naming characters. Now, before we get into that, we should talk about Scott Scottrick Shaw, 
the <laughs> Scott Drick. the director of Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell. Uh, he's actually a very, very prolific filmmaker, Mo. In fact, he has 80, uh, 83 directing credits on the Internet very Database. E- it's very easy to finish movies when you don't write scripts or do any possible editing. Now, okay, let's okay. I think that's being very unfair to Mr. Scott Shaw. Again, I don't think it is at all, but okay. You think you see Scott Shaw is not just a filmmaker. He is a bon vivant. A, a uh, <laughs> He is a man of many many talents, uh and I'm looking at his sure. ScottShaw.com website, FAQ, right this very second. And, like, it's listed. There's music, art, and photography. But, uh, and his spirituality. And he's also written books, Mo, books about filmmaking. Just like uh, Kim (laughs) Jong-il. And similar to Kim Jong-il, he has a very specific um, theory, uh, uh, ethos, when it comes to filmmaking. And I'm not just joking around. He legitimately has a whole kind of formula for that that makes his films different than all other films and and him as a filmmaker different from all other filmmakers. Yeah, and anybody who's part of the Facebook group got a little toe dip into that. <laughs> I, I, uh, I did a deep dive on him as I was watching the movie, mm-hmm. Mo, and uh, the rabbit hole just went deeper and deeper and deeper. And I will say, exploring him as a person in his career... Way more interesting than watching his movies. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine it's a lot like, you know, exploring Neil Breen, you know. Not not to make fun of Neil Breen, because I've actually enjoyed his movies way more than I enjoyed this. But, uh, you know, he, he's a real interesting character, too. Well, let's let's elaborate on what we're talking about here, Mo. Scott yes, Shaw. Yes, let's talk about Scott Shaw. Scott Shaw, his style of filmmaking... It says right here on the FAQ, some people wrongly define the films he makes as B-movies, cult films, or indie films. No, Bozo. He doesn't say that. I'm saying that. No, Bozo. Nah. They are totally missing the point. The These are Zen films, Mo. He is a spiritual gentleman. These are Zen films. Nothing to make fun of. Nothing to mock. He has a uh, particular point of view of how films should be made. I'll be, I'll be the fucking judge of that as to whether or not there's nothing to mock. <laughs> Well, it sounds to me that you are being a film critic, Mo, and says here on his FAQ, remember, what is a film critic? With very few exceptions, it is someone who doesn't have the talent or the dedication to actually make a movie, Mo. I've made a movie. I made a movie as good as this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I would I'm going to go. I, I would. Uh, please, I was say, gonna say I would argue you. I would argue you made a movie better than this There you movie. go. So, uh... <laughs> King me, yeah. Scotch. <laughs> but okay, so he has this theory of filmmaking called Zen filmmaking, and Zen filmmaking uh, has six tenets to it. So six rules by which. So this is very much um, what's the what's the one that Lars von Trier Dogma ninety five right, where they have very specific right, rules right. that that kind of compartmentalize your filmmaking. Which, uh, in some ways, those rules allow you to be more creative. And this is, I mean, I imagine it was inspired by a similar sort of thinking. Yeah, and dog, and just for the record, Dogma 95, also bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go through just quickly, Mo, before we get into the movie. The six tenets of Zen filmmaking. Because I'm sure our, some of our listeners are filmmakers themselves. They might want to follow these rules on the next movie that they make. Mm, I know I plan on it. Great. That's excellent to hear, Mo. So number one is... <laughs> Make all unpredicted situations work to your advantage. 
That means oh, that mo. It? I was gonna say, was that it? That's it. That's the first rule. See, these are okay. they're not hard. They're, anyone can do it. You should go out and make a movie right now, ladies and gentlemen. Like this is. I'm a, making one while we record. Say you're say you're on set, right? And suddenly you find out I forgot to bring any sound equipment. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Use it to your advantage. So now your movie has terrible sound. Advantage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that you also I don't know if unpredicted is the word to use here. Maybe unpredictable, don't you think? Mm. So Mo, number two on the sex this uh, sex, boy. That was Whoa. a Freudian slip. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> number two on the six tenets of Zen filmmaking is don't waste time, money, and energy attempting to create your sets when you don't have to. Instead, travel to them and allow their natural aesthetics to become a part of of your film now, I have to say, Mo, it's starting to seem like these these uh, rules are kind of based on not putting any effort into making your movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's I mean that's one way to look at it. The other way is to imagine that you have a more enlightened sense of filmmaking. You know, the reason that, but 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 honestly, it's really just fucking being lazy. You know, Mo, the reason that in, in some cases, you know, like, say you have a, a movie where a scene takes place in a boardroom, right? In a lot of movies, they will build a boardroom and film in there as opposed to filming in an actual boardroom because a lot of the elements of a real boardroom are not uh, very uh, good for filmmaking. Like, you don't have a lot of room to move your camera around. The audio right. might be really bad. I mean, I can't right. think of a movie where that might have taken place, but maybe we'll talk about it in just a little bit. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just not the best uh, situation for the highest quality uh, audio and visual element. So that's why they don't do it. But he's saying. Fuck that. Don't waste your time on it. Yeah, man. You're all caught up in how things look and sound, man. Number Just th- let it flow. Rule number three, Mo, and this is the most rebellious punk version of, uh, of any of these rules. Number three. Oh, shit. Just do it. 99% of the time, you can get away with it. Interesting. All right. So next time I'm making a film and I'm gonna, I have to make sure that I write in a scene... That I shoot a cop. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, pig. And that, Scott Shaw yes. says it's okay. Yes, I'm just going to make sure I shoot an actual cop. Yeah, do what you got to Atten- do. Attention all cops listening. Uh, I don't actually plan on doing it. Say you wanted to shoot President Trump. <laughs> oh, shit, dude. <laughs> Say you, Mo Bourne, in Florida. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> wanted to kill the president. They're listening now. <laughs> Scott Shaw says... Just do it. So now the the rules for the following three, they get a little more (laughs) complex. Number four, never let your storyline dominate your artistic vision. Too many would-be filmmakers attempt to write what they believe is a quote-unquote good script and then try to film it. Without an unlimited budget, it is virtually impossible to get what is on the page on the stage. Mo, don't write a script. That would be fucking idiotic. Then your actors might know what they're I, supposed to say. I was going to say, don't we know another fairly prolific filmmaker who also works with very confined budgets, who writes pretty decent scripts and tends to put a very close resemblance of what he writes in the scripts on the screen? You know, maybe one of the several people who we've recently interviewed <laughs> or all of the several people we recently interviewed. I mean, come on. It's not that hard to get a semblance of what you want in the script onto the scene. I mean, like, like even fucking like 
Dave Wescovich, who I think actually does kind of embody, in a way, the rules of Zen filmmaking, does it better. <laughs> I mean, look, whatever you say about Dave, he certainly plans out his movies ahead of time because his movies he have a lot of special does. effects. And you have to do yeah. that for special effects because otherwise they're going to look really janky like they do in his movies. Right. But that's because of other reasons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, I mean, come on, that that trash bag cave isn't going to build itself. Number five. He should have just gone. He should have just gone to an actual cave. What? What was his problem? <laughs> and also, don't write a script. Just babble on like fucking nonsense for an hour. Here's the thing. You can improvise dialogue. <laughs> great actors and great improvisers can improvise dialogue and make it work in the context of a script sometimes. But even they, most of the time, they, you know, you have to edit the shit out of it to make that work. And they still have a very strong sense of the plot from start to finish and where they're starting and where they're ending. Because once it's pieced together, it has to make sense, Mo. Doug, you don't know what you're talking about. Hey, he made 83 movies. <laughs> I didn't. Right? I'm just one of those no-good critics. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Number five, Mo. Zen filmmaking <laughs> is a spontaneous process. Just as the Zen understanding of enlightenment teaches that th- though you may meditate for years, it is not until the moment you step beyond your thinking mind and realize that you are already enlightened that you achieve Satori. Thus, if you acutely plan your productions with screenplays, storyboards, and locations, there is no room for the instantaneousness of cinematic enlightenment to occur, and you will always be lost between the way your mind desired a scene to be and the way it actually turns out. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. One person who used to uh, really acutely plan his work with storyboards and uh, screenplays and really is Alfred Hitchcock, who did that with every one of yeah. his movies. And I like his movies. Because they're really well thought out. Yeah, exactly. And the irony, the irony is that one paragraph about his process of filmmaking is better written than any paragraph of dialogue in this movie. Number six. Like, so, I mean, clearly he can write because that was a really well written line. I like, like that paragraph was great. Like, I really enjoyed listening to that. I think, I think you enjoyed listening to it because I was reading it. Well, I mean, obviously. <laughs> I smoothed out all the rough edges. <laughs> Mo, ultimately, number six, Mo, ultimately in Zen filmmaking, nothing is desired and thus all outcomes are perfect. That means, Mo, that this movie, Samurai, whatchamacallit, <laughs> Samurai, what's it called again? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> samurai, samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell. So that means that Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell is a perfect movie. I agree. The end. <laughs> Wrap it up. The Particularly the short end. episode. We just, spent, we, no bunch of nightmares. We, we just spent 20 minutes talking about his philosophy. Okay. We're going to jump into the movie now momentarily. We want to mention ahead of time that this movie is only 52 minutes long movie. Uh, movie. You're, yeah. you're not movie. Your name is Mo. <laughs> Movie. Um, but there's that's interesting for uh, a couple of reasons, Mo. You see, this is not the only version of Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell. Right. There is both a longer version and a shorter version, Mo. And the shorter version is uh, in the style uh, that that Scott Shaw has also um, uh, created called the Zen Speed Flick. And that is a feature-length film cut down to its most essential elements, leaving only the most interesting and fast-paced moments. Now, I would say that description would be – that's what you would use for a movie, right? 
you, you just cut a movie right. down to its most interesting elements, and anything you don't need is gone. But he thinks that this movie, which is 52 minutes, can be cut down a further 22 minutes to 30 minutes, and that's a zen speed flick, Mo. See, and that's fucking hilarious, because like his philosophy is is cutting out needless you know, treacle, so to speak. And, uh, and, and yet he still manages to cut an additional 30 minutes out of the movie that he made. Yes. There is also a 84 minute version of this movie. Right. That is called Alexander hell vampire hunter there. And this was a, a version apparently only released in Asia with an added 30 minutes. Uh, plus there are additional scenes that were shot using eight millimeter and super eight film mode. Oh, because you know, you know what is the best thing to do when making a film is to use multiple, various different types of film stock, because in the end it looks amazing. You know what movie I remember, Mo, that we have watched that really, it really feels like it's following the rules of Zen filmmaking very closely. Was that a little movie called Hip Hop Locos? Uh, yeah, right? That's, that's true. All, they don't have a plan. They don't have a screenplay. Right? They're just filming on locations they found. No sets. So when you think about the perfect movie, Hip Hop Logos. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that filming in a dark room would be so useful to them? They also do something in Hip Hop Logos that they do in Sam, uh, Sam, in Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell, which is that every once in a while, the image will go black and white for no reason. No reason whatsoever. Like, really honestly, jarring. no reason. And yeah. I, if you try to paint a reason onto it, I will call you a liar, sir, because there's no <laughs> fucking reason. I think if they, nope. they're trying vaguely to look like an Oliver Stone movie. But no, it doesn't work when you just go black and white and slowly fade into color every once in a while. Yeah. Most Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell from the year 1992. Yeah, let's get into this. Let's case. get into this. This movie doesn't make any fucking sense. No. It does feel I like kind of I kind I like I I hate to say like I almost feel like we shouldn't even talk about the movie and just rant about how ridiculous and and nonsensical this entire movie is because it just doesn't it, like it legit does like like okay so I ba- like I don't usually rant a lot on in the Facebook group before like while I'm watching the movie but I did a lot with this one because it like, I, I mean, no joke, I was 13 minutes in, I'm like, I'm ready to shut this fucking thing off, because it was just so hard to get through. Thankfully, not too long after that, it starts to pick up a little bit, you know, because there's, there's slightly more action, and then the third, quote-unquote, third act, there's significantly more action, so you, you get through it a lot faster. But fuck me, those first, like, 15 minutes of the movie, I'll even say 20 minutes of the movie, like, I just wanted to, like, fucking click that button and be like, can that be a new feature of the show now? Like, if we don't like it, just stop and we'll end the review there, because... No retreat, no surrender, Mo. And also, Uh you know, it's not uncommon for a movie to have a slow first 20 minutes. However, when the full length of the movie is only 52 minutes, that's a good chunk of the fucking movie. (laughs) The third of the fucking movie, yeah, exactly. Well, this movie starts, Mo, with a a group of punks, I would call them, because I didn't know what they were at the time, but a group of of, uh, darkly dressed gentlemen, and they're pushing a woman... But that's going too far, though, because the movie actually starts with a weird countdown. Okay, yes. The movie does has, like, a leader countdown, counting down from five, uh, before it it then says a... For no reason. Well, that's part of Zen filmmaking, where you can sometimes just put shit that doesn't make any sense, because why the fuck not? 
<laughs> and then but we you're right. then we see a group of people and they're pushing a woman against a fence. Mo, and who are these people? I don't know. They're vampires. I mean, I assume that they're samurai vampire bikers from hell. Yeah. Well, they are not established as vampires yet, but we are quickly going to realize that they're bad people, Mo, because this woman says that she thought that these guys were going to take her to Hollywood, and then a guy with a big mullet, he says this. We're not going to take you to Hollywood. We're not going to take you to heaven. We're not even going to take you to hell. We're going to make you one of us. This for a little while. Okay, so let me explain what just happened. <laughs> uh, so these guys are vampires. I guess they're going to turn this woman into a vampire as well. I don't know why some guy says at least for a little while. I don't know what that means. Um uh. And when they attack her with their samurai swords, Mo, suddenly the film speed, it just speeds up for a second, uh, and it looks fucking idiotic. Yup. So these guys attack this woman uh, just to establish that they're bad guys, and then uh, we get a side wipe on the screen, uh, and now we're... Ooh, very George Lucas. Yeah, very good. And then we get a boardroom, Mo, and we know it's a real boardroom mm. because he wouldn't, he wouldn't make a set. That would be fucking stupid to build a set when you have a real boardroom right. available. So this gang of people come into the room, the ones we just saw, and there's a bald guy in the room, Mo. I just called him Sooty. Well, we get his name a little later. I think his name is Lucas. Is that correct? Lucas, yeah. He's Lucas with mm-hmm. the lid off, right? Because his, he's bald. Oh, I get it. Lucas with the lid off. Remember him? I get, I get it, yes. <laughs> So we get a little bit of elaboration. He says he brought these guys here to do a job, and now the job is done. It's time for them to go back, but they're unwilling to go back. They haven't been out, Mo, in 2,000 years. They're not ready to leave. By the way, it's impossible to hear what they're saying because the audio is so fucking terrible here. Yeah, my notes actually say the audio is so bad I can't hear a damn thing the guy says except for, let's party. Man, you know what? Some sort of like soundproof set would have been great. For recording audio? Yeah, I mean, some kind of like, you know, ADR booth. It should be noted that it appears that most, if not all, of the audio in this movie uh, is taken from the single microphone on the camera. It's 100% clear because the, the, the audio gets better and worse depending on how far the subject is from the camera. But, but Mo, the there's another of, giveaway that I think you want to tell us about. Yeah, the, the, the thing of note with with this is that no matter how far away the subject is ever present is the constant breathing of the cameraman as he's filming the scene it is unbearable like i was sitting there I, like i'm 25 30 minutes into the movie and i'm like what the fuck just because I, 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 I tend to watch the movies with headphones on, mm-hmm. so I've just got breathing into my ear, breathing into my ear the whole fucking movie, and I'm thinking I'm going nuts. So I'm pausing the movie, and then I'm like, "No, it's the fucking movie." Mo, it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. No, it's Zen filmmaking, and it's, it's perfect. Fuck, it's fucking frustrating. You know how when you watch the movie Halloween, the John Carpenter movie, Mo. <laughs> Oh God! Are you going to compare this to Halloween? Uh huh. There, they say uh-huh. that in certain scenes you can see little whiffs of smoke appearing on screen because it's actually the cigarette smoke from John Carpenter being behind the camera. Uh huh. Right. So this audio, in some ways, in some ways, that kind of breaks 
the immersion, but it also kind of brings you in a little bit, right? Because that's, it's kind of brings you to a deeper level of filmmaking. And that's what's happening here. Hearing this fucking guy breathe is just, it's just bringing you into the content. It's just making you more engaged than you would have been otherwise. Uh, no, it's completely takes you out of the story because you're paying attention to the breathing and not to the story. So one of these guys, one of these vampire gang who refuse to go back, they say, let's party. And then they leave. The whole group leaves, Mo. Yes, they do. Then we get an incredibly important sequence, which introduces our lead character, Mo. What's his name again? Alexander Hell. I wish that Lin-Manuel Miranda made a musical about Alexander Hell. Right? Right? So Helmelton. That's right. That's right. Alexander Helmelton. So, Alexander is wearing a robe. He tries to enter a room and two guys put like they cross their swords in front of him trying to stop him. And then they push mm-hmm. him around and say, "It's Alexander Hell." And then he jumps into action with a slow motion kick, Mo. And tell me about the action in this movie. Uh well, about 96% of it is in slow motion. Uh-huh. Um uh, and the part that isn't in slow motion is just as bad. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I won't say that much. I mean, they're, they're, they they seem like they're fairly competent fighters. I mean, obviously, they can do more than I can do. Sure. You know, um, like, I couldn't do a spinning head kick, yeah. you know, and he and we and we know that Alexander Hell can because he does 9,000 of them mm-hmm. in this movie. It's, it's actually interesting that this is a movie with samurai in the title that everyone carries around swords, and almost all of the action is just people kicking each other. Yeah, it's almost entirely kicking. There is one really horrible uh, sword fight scene that we'll get to uh-huh. later. But uh, yeah, so Alex, our, our buddy Alex here, um, he's, uh, you know, he's kicking people and throwing them around. My favorite part about this scene, however, is the <laughs> fact that like that he goes from having a cloak <laughs> to not having a cloak to having a cloak again. To not having a cloak. Sounds like the kind you know, of issue like the, that you might have been able to uh, to not uh, have, Mo, if you had planned things out in advance. Right, exactly. <laughs> he goes into know. a scene and he's wearing the cloak and he's kicking people. He goes into another one, kicks people without it, and then suddenly he's back in the fucking cloak again. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how I love how most of the fights just sort of end with them letting him go. They're just like, ah, eh, whatever. Yeah, this fight ends with, with, a, like- with a guy, one of the vampires saying, you can pass Alexander Hell. We'll meet another time. Right. Just to, I don't know. I need to elaborate here, Mo, on what we, what is actually happening. Please. Here. This is Alexander Hell. He's escaping from Hell here. So this room that that he has entered, which just looks like an ordinary fucking room, uh, is like the exit gate to Hell. And he's been in Hell just fucking around, and now he's leaving Hell. He's like, um, he's like a meatloaf. He's a bad out of hell. Yeah. He would also do anything for love, but he won't do that. That's that's from uh back into hell. <laughs> I don't I don't care. Alright, fine. Uh he's uh finding paradise by the dashboard. That's light. right. And he is, and he will. So this then leads directly into the opening credits, Mo, which uh feature Alexander Hell on a motorcycle. Biking around. Now, Alexander Hell is played by Scott Shaw, the director and co-writer of this movie. Yep. Describe Scott Shaw to me, Mo. 
Remember why you do oh. this, Mo. You are a critic, and therefore your opinion is meaningless. <laughs> that's that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, I I hate to almost say it, but he has he actually kind of uh-huh, has uh-huh. like a like a, a Todd Sheets vibe. Yes, to him. he does. He looks kind of <laughs> like Todd Sheets. He, he really does. Um, you know, he's got he's <laughs> he's got the long, uh, kind of stringy, curly hair. Um, yeah. he looks like he you know might have been kicked out of Metallica. That sort of thing, right? The 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 uh, jean jacket, uh, that sort of look. Yeah, he looks like Todd Sheets, especially in 1992. And we get to see him (laughs) ride his motorcycle around as the credits roll, and the opening credits uh, during it, Alexander Hell stops at a street corner where a lovely blonde woman gets on his bike with him and drives off. Mo and I have to say, in my notes, I've written. I guess he picked up a prostitute because she was just standing on a street corner. I mean, there's no elaboration on who she is. And she appears throughout the movie, but there's no description or she's never, I don't even think she's given a fucking name in the movie. She does. She's not, she's never given a name. And like my favorite part is there's actually a scene where she, where they had just finished something and then they like smash cut. Cause there's no, like, I mean like that one wipe transition is like the only one in the entire fucking movie everything else is basically just smash cuts um and there's like a smash cut and like one of the other characters who we haven't met yet so i don't want to give up his name quite yet um (laughs) you know uh and 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 hell are sitting like in some forest and he's just randomly now making out with this chick yeah (laughs) it's like where where the hell did she come from (laughs) look if you had a script you might have had to to, to write in a sequence where they get to know each other, right? But that's not yeah, how, that's right? not the crowd, the audience, they want action. And when we say action, exactly. I mean this next sequence, Mo, which involves a woman, who I don't know who she is, entering a room and talking to someone in a cloak, suspiciously similar cloak to the one that we saw Alexander wearing, but this is a different <laughs> person. Yes. And uh, they have this exchange, and listen to his reaction, because it's quite something. It's great. I'm so sorry I have to tell you this. Alexander Hell, he's broken through the gate. He's gone. Wait for it. No! <laughs> <laughs> Mo, who is this? And like... And- Sorry. And visually, visually, this scene is fucking fantastic, too. Like, his reaction visually is just as good as the audio. Yes. Who is that guy? Who is the guy in the club? I don't know. Nope. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we see him like three or four more times during the movie. Again, never introduced. I think we only really see him uh, to any extent once more when someone talks to him on the phone. And the suggestion right. is he's like, maybe he's the devil. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe he's supposed to be like Lucifer. I don't know. Here's the thing about a movie that references hell so consistently. It would have been great if they had a sequence that took place in hell. But the problem is, if you are only filming on places that you can find and are not building any sets, that means it's hard to find hell. No, they just go to Michigan. <laughs> or they could just set a building on fire and shoot in front of that. <laughs> oh, it's nice here in hell as the fire truck engines <laughs> come. <laughs> now we're, we are introduced, Mo, to one of our other lead characters, a very important character, a Mr. McGavin, Mo. Who's never given a first name. He's just McGavin. He's just McGavin. He's also never given a description on what he is or what he's doing. 
I mean, the suggestion, yeah. I guess, is that he's a police officer, but we are never given an exterior shot to show him in a police station, and no one ever refers to him as a police officer. So who the fuck See, is I, he? I, I, I actually never really got the idea that he was a police officer. I always just assumed that he was just some kind of freelance vampire hunter. Okay, so Mr. McGavin, the vampire hunter, he is yeah. t- talking to a woman who... She's not his secretary. That's who I thought it was at first. She is an ex-vampire. Yeah. Who, she's a recovering vampire. So they have a re- relationship where he's working with her. She's a recovering vampire. And there's apparently this whole backstory, which is not only not elaborated on, completely unimportant. Completely unimportant. Yeah. Like, honestly, if she hadn't... Well, I'm going to fucking spoil it. I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. She dies. She dies almost immediately. Yeah, it's only in a second, like, so it's not really a spoiler. It's- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... You know, if she hadn't died immediately, except for the fact that this actress is fucking terrible, um, the she could have been a very interesting part of this movie because she has the ability to locate the other vampires. Absolutely. So, like, the guys who have escaped from hell, she knows exactly where they are. I mean, this you know, is but, by far the most interesting thing in the movie, which is she without is a, a doubt. recovering vampire, again... It would have been nice to see some of this, where she is like fighting these these vampiric urges, and he's talking about how it's just a matter of self control, self discipline, and the American way of life. Uh, by the way, this this scene goes, <laughs> yeah, brother. This scene goes black and white a couple times for no reason at all. Her name is Nina, by yep. the way. Not that it really matters. And it's like it's establishing, boy, you know what? This could be an interesting plot thread to follow. And uh, and she and you, by the way, you mentioned her acting. Let's have a little listen. Yeah, please. I'm talking about forces fighting against heaven and hell every time you fucking move. I'm talking about the potential we all have for evil. Okay, that's all she has to say. (laughs) And the the funny part about that is I can't tell if she's trying to do an accent or if she's trying to stifle an accent. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. Um, Yeah. It's... Especially because some of the vampires obviously don't have accents. That that kind of main yeah. mullety vampire, uh, who will who will get back to you in just a little bit. You know who who he reminded me of, Mo. Um, who did he remind he you of? I should say he he kind of I mean vaguely reminded me of uh, like physically of like early nineties era Scott Steiner. Oh wow. Before the Big Papa yeah. Pump era, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Pre, pre Big Papa Pump. Boy, his hair is very um, also, Scott Steinerish. That's very good. Yeah, it is very Scott Steinerish. But he also kind of reminded me vaguely of uh, what was the character's name, Mark from Soul of the Demon. Oh, I, yeah, I can the, see the, that the guy the, with the with the hair, <laughs> his face. Yeah, the guy with the little yeah. booklet who taught, taught him how to do a uh, seance. But but he's also vaguely. Uh, uh, I can't remember their names. Uh, the Paul brothers, the Barbarian brothers, the Barbarian brothers. That's excellent. That's great. Yeah. I wasn't thinking the hair. I thought that his vocal stylings and his face oh, reminded, so I wasn't reminded me of uh, the great Lee Ving from the band Fair. That's yeah. That's actually really good. He's as got well. that accent, yeah. right? Sure, sure. But anyway, let's get back to this movie that we're fucking struggling through. <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, needs. Well, you know. You, you know what they say, Doug. New York's all right if you like sex. <laughs> so she, which is the weirdest way, which is the weirdest way in the history of the world to call somebody gay. <laughs> just, just for the record, especially because in their live performances, they just like said a whole bunch of homophobic slurs the whole time. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nina, as she's talking about being a vampire and how thirsty she is, she starts to kind of spaz out a little bit. Uh, and she asks for something to drink. And uh, he gives her some or uh, some tomato juice. She said that, she, in fact, she says, he goes, what do you need? And she goes, blood. I mean, a Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. So uh, he gives her tomato juice. She says she hates tomato juice, starts to attack him. And then he takes a steak that he has in his hand and stabs her through the heart and kills her. Yep. And he goes, I guess once a vampire, always a vampire. I will say the actor who plays uh, McGavin is my favorite in the movie. Yeah, he's mine too. Because he's the he's only still one. Shit, but he, he's the only one he's, he, who seems to have any gravitas to anything he says. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, he, he's he's interesting. But I love the fact that they like in like a throwaway line talk about how great it is killing vampires because there's no blood. Yeah, as to like justify as to justify having to have no blood and like almost no blood in the entire fucking movie. But it ends up being like a really important plot point at the very end of the movie. However. Unless you picked up on what he said there, I didn't. I wouldn't have remembered it. It's only because I was taking notes that no. I, I I knew about it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, by the way, that's stupid. That, that vampires wouldn't have any blood. <laughs> so the leader of the vampires is named Marcus. He's the guy with the mullet that we were describing as Scott Steinerish. This is yeah. a sequence where he is just talking about how he, finally he's on Earth. The Earth is mine. He says, "No more stale blood he, coming from the rocks." He, he walked out there and he said, you try to get the simpy of the people. You're not going to get the simpy of me. He goes, holler if you hear me. Uh, Badasses. This sequence, which is just him talking about how great it is to be on Earth and have uh, access to fresh blood, is a really good example of why you don't want to improvise scenes because he just says the same fucking lines over and over again. And that happens a little later. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you're going to point it out, Mo. Oh, you know I fucking am. <laughs> then I've it, already mentioned it once. Then it cuts briefly to a vampire party, which it, it will return to several times. Just a bunch of vampires hanging out and having fun and drinking blood while techno music plays. Briefly before it goes back into the movie, it just shows a, a, a building covered in graffiti. I guess that's where the next scene is supposed to take place. But I don't know why I would think that outside of the fact that they show it. You're right. So back back to the boardroom with uh, the bald guy, Lucas. Um, and now he's meeting Alexander Hell, and they have some sort of prior relationship, Mo. What is it? Uh I honestly I don't even I don't even know. I just like I, I don't I don't know. I don't understand anything that's happening in this movie for the most part. Um I mean I guess he had some oh he I think he had sent him to hell to take care of some people. He, right? Was that was yes, that what it was? Lucas had hired Alexander Hell to go into Hell to, I guess, kill some people in Hell. Now Lucas is a vampire, which doesn't make any sense. Be- which doesn't make any sense because when you die in Hell, where do you go? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter because we never see it and we never really get a sense of nope. what that was all about. All I know is that right. Lucas uh, did not expect Alexander Hell to be able to come back, but he did. Because he's a total badass that no one ever threatens in any way for the rest of this movie. Not even a little bit. Right. Alexander is there because he wants Lucas to pay up for all the work that he did. Exactly. But Lucas says that he's brought demons up from hell. And he wants Alexander to uh, kill them uh, and force them back into hell. or, Or alternatively force them to go back willingly to hell. Right. And Alex is not really interested until... He mentions that one particular, 
one has come back. Now, would you like to tell the people the name of this one, or would you rather I? Because let us know personally, what's I, I want to hear. I want to hear the name. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Personally, I want to groan when it's said, but <laughs> I'll, I'll groan after. Okay. Her her name and get ready to groan is Princess Die. D i e mo. Princess D i e. Oh my fucking god! So, uh, Lucas says that Princess Die is one of these women, and he offers her to Alexander. This is what that sounds like. You know a few of them. One in particular, Princess Die, and so oh. and so you can have. Her. Oh great! Yeah, just what I want. Another bitch from hell. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's the closest I've ever heard, and like that happens like three more times in the movie. But like these these are the closest examples of what an ellipse sounds like. Yeah, right. In real life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like there's just a passing of time, and I, I, then he says the rest of the line. So basically, Lucas says, "What do you want that I can give you in order for you to take care of these vampires?" And Alexander says he wants the whole castle that Lucas lives in, which, by the way, suggests that. I want- I want your boardroom. Suggest that that all that outdoor that that quick outdoor shot of something covered in graffiti is not this place because we never see the castle in which Lucas lives. And by the way, he does another ellipse. Oh, he doesn't live. Yeah, sorry. Oh, wait, I but- was going to say he doesn't live. He doesn't live near a castle, so yeah, how is he going to get a shot of a castle? <laughs> it's a good point. And uh, Lucas says, uh, "Pay or play." Ugh. So, Mo, that sets up what the, what's going on for the rest of this movie. Now, we need to talk about Alexander Hell as a character. As I just kind of alluded to, he is played by the director, and he is also presented as the ultimate badass. So he has He's like the uber badass. He basically yeah. willingly just he willingly went into hell, had no trouble at all down there. In fact, made friends with people down there, came back, mm-hmm. had no trouble at all doing that. Has been offered to be turned into a vampire. Has refused it because he's too fucking cool. Though he appears to also be immortal for reasons that are not defined. Uh, no, <laughs> nobody is as good at, at fighting as he is. Women love him and find him entirely irresistible. He is what they call a Mary Sumo. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of role that if I you are a director uh, and you... Uh, you have certain confidence issues, you may write a role like that for yourself. You know what it reminds me of? Like, I mean, obviously this example that I'm about to give is way fucking better than this movie is. Sure. But do you remember the bat do you remember the bathroom scene in Buffalo 66 where the guy in the stall next to Vincent Gallo looks down right? and like and is like completely enamored by the size of his cock? <laughs> Keeping in mind that Vincent Gallo wrote that movie. <laughs> it, uh, well, I mean, apparently Vincent Gallo's also enamored with his own cock because he put that on screen. Well, he's, I, I was going to say, he's got a big dick. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that, but I mean, it's just really funny that he would write a scene into a movie that another man would be like admi- admiring his dick, basically. But that's what this reminds me of. Like, this character, like, Everybody fucking loves him, you know. A few days ago, I saw a movie, Mo, called The Disaster Artist. Oh, it's not playing anywhere. Yeah, it, it's playing here, which was surprising to me. So I went and saw it. And I really mm-hmm. like watching The Room, and I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, and honestly, I like The Disaster Artist. I've read the book. I, I didn't love it. Some people love it. I just liked it. But I will say mm-hmm. that the the way that, that um, 
Tommy Wiseau writes the character of Johnny in the room is very similar to how Alexander Hell's character is here, right? Which is that right. everyone talks about how great he is all the time. He's presented as being a genius who is saving the bank tons of money and is beloved <laughs> by all, right? And he's a completely innocent spirit who's being wronged all the time. That's the kind of thing where if you have no kind of self-awareness of the character, that's what you end up with, especially if you're playing it, because you have it's hard to make a character with flaws because you don't want to seem vulnerable. And in this case, in this movie, Alexander Hell shows no vulnerabilities the whole movie, which means you don't give a shit what happens to him. Yep. So we see some more vampires partying. Uh, someone makes a joke about canned blood. I don't really know what that's all about. Lucas... Th- that was Mullet Guy who did that. Yeah, Mullet Guy. Marcus. Marcus. We go back to Lucas. He says that all the vampires, Mo, are after the serum that Lady Octavia brewed up. Yep, and we and do we ever see Lady yep. Octavia? Is that that blonde? I, I, we I don't know. Do later? I, I don't know if that's her or not. It's never mentioned. It apparently this is a serum that allows pyres—that's what he calls vampires—to walk around in the daytime. Pyres. So, and Lucas also says that he wants. Alexander Hell to work with Sir Katana, Mo. Sir Katana! <sighs> because both of them have a... God damn! <laughs> both of them have a good reason to want the intruders back in Hell. By the way, this is a sequence where um, Lucas and Alexander Hell are walking down a hallway and the breathing of the cameraman is so distracting that I it's couldn't pay unbearable. attention to what they were saying. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so then we see vampires partying again, and a girl uh, says that she thought that they were cool, but now she thinks they're weird. And she goes, you, I guess they're kind of threatening her. And she goes, do you want sex? And he goes, we're a thousand years beyond sex. <laughs> then they threaten her. With- this line of dialogue, I am honestly surprised you didn't grab this audio clip, but I guess I, I, it makes sense that you didn't. But like the way she says that, that like the way she delivers this line is so fucking bad. Well, you know what? Since you referenced oh, it, Mo, man. let's listen to it right now. You know, I thought you guys were cool. You're weird. What do you want from me? It sucks. Ah, sex. We're a thousand years beyond sex. Oh my god! <laughs> well, there it was. Hot dog. <laughs> it, so it's it, it's terrible. So they threaten her with their swords, just like at the very beginning of the movie, and then the film speeds up for a second, and then I guess they kill her. I don't know. It, yeah. Apparently, that's what vampires do. They speed up when they kill. So, uh, Marcus, uh, the, the, I'm going to call him the King Vampire Marcus, just just to make it clear. I'm just going to call him Mullet Guy. He then encounters Alexander, and I'm expecting, uh-oh, these guys are going to hate each other, but they don't, Mo. They're actually good friends. Yeah, they're like buddies. And actually, Marcus uh, defends Alexander like a lot yeah. through the course of the movie. Absolutely. He's very much, they very much have a... Uh, uh, the kind of relationship where when other people are s- uh, skeptical about Alexander, he's like, no, man, he's my friend. Yeah, it's like a real bromance going on. Yeah, a real Mr. White, Mr. Orange kind of thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> right. A real, a, real, a, real, a real stone cold sort of thing going on. <laughs> so um, they have a little chat. Uh, Marcus is talking about how much he loves it on Earth. How there are beautiful girls everywhere, even though they're a thousand years beyond sex. Mm-hmm. Alexander says, I know where a few wenches are right now. 
really nice guy, this Alexander. And he goes, let's ride then. So then what happens, Mo? Uh, I don't know. It's What happens next is so confusing because it shows how little planning, uh, expectedly, d- did not go into this movie. It turns... The sc- oh, right. This is where there's, there's like... Yeah, there's all sorts of like weird like smash cuts here. Okay, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So it here. smash cuts to a two-second clip where Lucas is just sitting in a pile of people... And he says he says that only real men are from hell. Okay, then uh, it cuts to a girl uh, with some vampires who says that, "Hey, I thought we were just going out for drinks." And then someone says, "A vampire says we are." And then uh, there's screams. Wah. There's more screams. And then, like you would think after that that sequence with uh, with Alexander, that him and Marcus would be like riding down the road together on motorcycles or something. But no, right, we right, don't actually right. see them hang out at all anymore. So later on, Mo, Alexander is asleep in bed. I guess even though he has escaped from hell and is immortal, he still sleeps like a regular person. Sure. So a, wo- a woman wakes him up, Mo. And who is this woman? I don't know. <laughs> this is apparently some former re- person he was in a relationship. This is going to be a running gag yeah. in this episode, too. Who is this person? I don't know. So they've had a previous relationship, him and this woman. We don't know who she is. We don't know what their background is, but they have this exchange yep. because um, she she basically said that their love was real, and this happens. I never loved anyone like I loved you. Oh yeah, what about Lucifer? He didn't mean anything. Yeah, it was just a fling, baby. <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, you're right," and they just start making out. Yeah. But that's not even it, though. Like, so, so right, I'm I'm gonna take over for a second because this is th- this is where shit gets really stupid. So, <laughs> by the way, this is, this is just past the point where you were like, I'm when you were watching it initially, you were like, I'm gonna give up watching this fucking movie. Yes, yes, this is that scene, like this sum- coming up scene, is where I said I want to shut this fucking movie off. All right, so we got a quick scene. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna shock and blast through this just right right quick. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we get a quick scene of McGavin staking a vampire from behind. This is where we get the line about how there's no blood, no blood because right. because vampires don't have blah, 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 whatever. Then another woman sneaks into <laughs> Hell's room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, you just had sex with another woman who has just told you that she's never loved anybody in the world like she's loved you. Uh-huh. And and you argue with her, but then like, eh, it's okay. Let's fuck, you know. But now there's another woman in there, and he's like, all right, let's fuck. Yeah. In, in a single <laughs> night, he gets woken up by two different women who are in love with him who just want to fuck him. My God, the only time I ever get woken up by a woman is when my three-year-old niece is screaming outside <laughs> my door. By the way, neither of these women are given names, and we never hear from them again. Never hear from them again. And neither one of these is the blonde who he picks up on the bike at the beginning, That's who right. he's making out with later on in the movie. Uh, well, I mean, look, immortal vampire killers don't have to worry about monogamy. The, everyone knows that. Sure. Even even at the height of the AIDS epidemic. <laughs> so now we get introduced finally to a character that we've been uh, told about but not we haven't seen and this is katana sir katana mo sir katana so lucas has brought katana to see him but he's one of the knights of the round that's right uh katana by the way is asian he's also the co-writer of this movie and him and uh scott work together to this day hmm. isn't that great it's fantastic. So they basically give him the same proposition uh, as they gave Alexander, telling him that 
uh, some of the creatures of hell have gotten out of hand and they want him to take care of it. Uh, but Katana is very skeptical. He says that he's fought some of the greatest warriors of all time. But Alexander isn't an average man at all. He doesn't mm. even want to become a vampire. So Katana, by the way, is a vampire. Right. He can walk around in the daytime. I don't know why. Yeah. No, they never explained that. So, um... So my but just for the record, the the conversation between Katana and Lucas because this is what happens. Yeah, Katana gives Lucas a sword. Who cares? Blah blah blah. They t- they talk about Katana doing the job that they were going to pay Hell to do. They want him to do it with with Hell. Yes. Um. But then in my notes, this is probably my favorite note from the entire uh, in the entire movie. I write Katana and Lucas are arguing about some bullshit. This dialogue is insipid. There's <laughs> like, one. There's one really fucking weird line. Where he says, "These vampires from hell are your problem." No, no, it's not that. It's just, oh. um, I think basically uh, Katana is being kind of threatening to Lucas, and he's like, "What's going to happen when humans find out what Lucas is?" I guess that he's a vampire, and he yeah. goes, "They'll go through you faster than a virgin bleeds." Yeah, right. What is, what does that mean? Yeah, right. So they talk about how, uh, so they do the same thing to Katana that they do to to hell and talk about how there's somebody here who you might be interested in. And it turns out it's Katana's brother. Yes. So Katana's brother is apparently one of the vampires from hell. <clears throat> and knowing that he's one of them, he agrees then to help Alexander hell, right. get them back to hell. Now I'm going to, I'm just going to say, because you know, I have Marvel movies on the brain the entire time that I was watching this, I was certain that the, that his brother's name was Dormammu. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so every time Katana's brothers, so every time Katana's brothers on screen, which by the way is like two more times in the rest of the movie, uh-huh. like I kept I kept thinking to myself, Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> <laughs> so by the way, in this in that whole sequence, Lucas was there with a woman who was never given a name, and I don't know who she is or what her relationship is. With yeah, I mean, like you could probably safely assume that it's Lady Octavia, but it's never revealed. And by the way, we never really discover her fate, but we'll see her once more. So yep. then we see the hooded figure from earlier, not Alexander Hell, but like the, the guy who went, no. Um, yeah. He picks up a phone and he calls Lucas and he basically um, tells him that the that Alexander Hell broke out of hell, which we already know. So this is a completely irrelevant scene. This is total filler. Also, if this is the devil, he just calls people on the phone. Yeah, that's my favorite part. It's like, it's like, like, he literally, he just picks up a corded telephone. I mean, I understand it's 1992 cell technology doesn't really exist, you know, but like, he just picks up a phone, calls him. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Then we, uh, hell's gone. Then we get a very strange sequence where Alexander enters a room with his sword. There's a blonde woman there who just stares at him, and that's it. That's the whole scene. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Yeah. Like, like there are weird, like, weird vignette moments where shit happens but nothing really happens then we see mcgavin getting a call another phone call mo this time lucas is calling him and mcgavin is very skeptical he's like we're on opposite sides of the bridge but uh he says he's gonna come by so mcgavin is gonna go visit lucas oh see i totally i totally misheard that line because the audio in this scene is pure shit Uh uh-huh uh like i honestly thought that lucas was telling mcgavin to come meet him on the other side of the bridge (laughs) (laughs) that's that's possible as well okay so oh boy this is this is a soul-sucking movie we're literally we're about halfway through it now uh and it's just 
there's there's so little of interest that's happening, and it's so confusing that it's exhausting to watch. It's densely dull. Yes. So, McGavin goes to visit Lucas. McGavin, again, we we don't know who he is. We know he's a vampire hunter. He knows that Lucas is a vampire. He calls uh, McGavin calls Lucas a filthy bloodsucker, and uh, but Lucas says that he has something McGavin wants, and that leads to this. Because McGavin, I have something you want. There's only one thing I want: has to wipe you and all of your bloodthirsty kind from the face of the earth forever. That McGavin, he's pretty cool. So I like the fact that he says, I want to wipe all you blood sucker, filthy maggots from the right. earth. I know that's not what he says, but you know, but then he still takes the deal. What is the deal, Mo? So the deal is basically like, you can have all these other vamps, just leave us alone. Like, and he kind of like basically tells him where, cause I think he, he really wants Katana is what he wants. Apparently he wants Katana you know? and Alexander, but like, that's what they offer him. They say basically, yeah. you can have Katana and Alexander. As long as you just leave us alone, leave them alone, and he agrees to it. Again, we don't know what his relationship with is with Katana and why he doesn't like him or why he values right. him above all of these other vampires. It's never established. Yeah. Ah, oh, this movie, Mo. Although, I mean, at, at least now we get an interesting. Not no, that's the wrong word. At least now we get a. Uh, 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 costume change by Alexander Hell. Now Alexander Hell's wearing uh, his we, camo pants, Mo. Wearing camo pants and a khaki shirt. And I, I kind of love the music on this scene because it's this weird, like, techno surf music. Yeah. I say that Alexander is walking around with camo pants on and looks like a total tool. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he not, but, but come on, not nearly as bad as the next outfit we see him in. <laughs> so he appears in this scene, Mo, to be walking around some national park. It's obviously yeah. just a location because, you know, Zen filmmaking. And he sees a sword embedded in the ground, just stand, it's just there, right? And he goes over and takes a look at it, and we see that Katana is watching him. And this leads into, you know how in superhero uh, team-up comics, Mo, initially the two superheroes, they get into a fight because there's some misunderstanding, and then they yeah. kind of earn each other's respect? That's exactly what happens here. Are we best friends? <laughs> Did we just, yep. we just become best friends? <laughs> yup! So they have a kicking fight. <laughs> they really do. It's so stupid. They just kick each other again and again and again, and eventually, and like, Alex- and like every time Alexander Hell kicks, uh, kicks Katana in the head, like his hands are down by his sides, uh-huh. like, and he's just clearly just waiting for for Hell to kick him. It's fucking fantastic. There's a moment where Alexander Hell gets knocked down for one of the only times in the entire fucking movie. Yeah, he gets up and immediately delivers a big old kick. Right. Yeah. And it looks like I think he actually kicks the guy playing Katana in the face. Oh, he does. He absolutely <laughs> does. Yeah. Yeah, there there were a couple there that were so fucking close that I'm 100% certain that he actually kicked the dude. So that's the end of the fight that Alexander totally won. Yeah, and, now they're best friends. And he goes, uh, so is that your sword over there? And Katana goes, yeah, I don't like anyone messing with it. And then they just walk up a, a, a flight of stairs together because they're now they're good friends. But he goes, I don't like anybody messing with it. But then hell hands him the sword. Yeah. By the way, they start walking up these steps and they play like jungle animal sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so loud. Like a fucking monkey, like it's going, <laughs> like all that shit. Where are, where does this movie take place, Mo? Uh, c- clearly in, you know, the 
wilds of Thailand, I guess. Uh, I uh, legitimately, where does this does this movie take place in like our universe? I have no idea. We see nobody no else, right? There's no people. Yeah. But here's the thing though, like that scene where they're walking up the the rock steps, whatever it is, uh, with the swords, like, tell me you didn't think, okay, they're gonna go sword fight at the top of this thing. Yeah, yeah, because it, it hadn't been established that they're friends. No. There's no reason to yeah. think that they would be. Uh, my my notes even say they grab their swords and go for a quick walk, presumably to fight. Yeah, but not. That's not what happens no. at all. They're friends now. Nope. Yeah, they're buddies. And in fact, they're good buddies. They're they're literally just gonna spend the rest of the movie together. Yeah. So we then have like a quick black and white sequence with McGavin arriving somewhere that he thinks, uh, I guess, is where they just were because he's following Katana, right? Yeah. But you know where Katana and Alexander are, Mo? They're at the graveyard all of a sudden. They're in a cemetery just hanging around, sitting by the graves like two and this goth is the mo- kids this- from high school. I- That's what my notes say. That's exactly what my <laughs> fucking note says. Like a couple of high school goths. Um, but like, did you notice that like seemingly all of the headstones that they shoot have, like, it's Asian. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like, so that makes you wonder even more, where the fuck does this movie take place? This is the haunted Chinese graveyard, Mo. Right, right. I'm waiting for a hopping vampire to come in. So they... From hell. <laughs> they, uh, as they're just sitting there, kind of shooting the shit, uh, I don't know what they're talking about. We never really hear it. McGavin wanders by, and he's very upset to find these two youngsters hanging around the cemetery, and he says... Yeah, music. You young punks. Don't you have any respect for this holy place of peace <laughs> and rest? But then he walks off. And then he just walks away. He just walks away. And then we see them actually sitting on gravestones, which admittedly, that is kind of a dick move. It's a total dick move. Uh, as they're, uh, So they start walking through the graveyard, and Katana is pointing out that he knows some of the people that he sees on the gravestones that he... Uh, offer them a he offered one of them a chance to be a vampire, but they chose death instead. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he wonders why they people like why humanity does that. And Alexander says that he's seen Earth and he's seen Hell, but he's pretty curious about checking out Heaven. Yeah, well, I'd imagine with the amount of killing that he's done, that that's not going to happen. But he also has. A, but sorry, Katana has a great line too about how like he watched the pyramids rise and he watched Atlantis sink. It, like. So in this universe, Atlantis is real. Alright. Uh, it's real in our universe too, Mo. Sure. <laughs> so let me tell you that exact line, because I've written Please. it down. <laughs> Thank you. So Alexander Hell says, no matter how you slice it, eternity is a long time. And th- now that leads to Katana getting his Ruckerhauer in Blade Runner moment. A, l- <laughs> a long time? Do you know what a long time is? I watched the Egyptians raise the pyramids. I watched the gleaming towers of Atlantis fall beneath the ocean's waves. Laughed as Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Do you know what I'm talking about? And this is, by the way, where I realized, hey, Katana's just walking around in the sunlight. <laughs> what the fuck is up with this guy? <laughs> then things kick into high gear, Mo. Finally, we get ninjas. And they didn't even fit ninjas into the title of the movie. They should have. Samurai biker ninjas. Because, frankly, Ninja Vampire Bikers from Hell is a much better name. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Not as good as Samurai Pizza Cats. <laughs> so, ninjas are running around in the woods. Shock. Surprise. <laughs> uh, and for some reason now, Katana and Alexander are just hanging around the woods. They are accosted by ninjas 
usually one at a time, sometimes two at a time. And these ninjas pose very little threat. There are some interesting fight scenes here, fight moments. Interesting is the where, right word to use. Where, where if they had timed it better, like maybe done a take two, uh, it would have been like pretty cool. Like there's a scene where there's a guy coming to attack Hell from behind, mm-hmm. and Katana like jump kicks him. Right. But it's so poorly timed that it just comes off as laughable. But if they had done a take two and tried to time that better, like it would have been pretty cool. It's also it cuts to slow motion way too often, and it way actually, too much. It actually hurts the pacing of everything. It's way more impressive, you know. Even if it's just because all of these fighting sequences are just like one move, edit, one move, edit, right? And yeah. But if some of those moves are in slow motion, it kills the the sequencing of it, and so it, it yes. makes it a lot less. I mean, it makes it look very awkward, which is what it is. It's super fucking awkward. Yeah. So while... Because be, because here's the thing, is that not only does the... Because I, I'm guessing he doesn't know how to separate out the audio from the video, so the audio goes to slow motion, too? Yes, that, that, and that's particularly unpleasant, but I'm going yeah. to give him uh, some credit. Not credit. I'm not going to knock it too hard, because it was 1992 and editing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, trust me, I know all about 90s editing equipment. <laughs> so... Then we get something very strange. McGavin is in these woods, too, and he sneaks up on a Japanese woman who we have not been introduced to. Is this the Japanese woman who woke up Alexander the first time? I have no, I have, I have no idea. So he sneaks up beside her, and he tries to kind of slash her, but she vanishes into thin air. Wow. Right? Then Katana and Alexander, they beat up some more ninjas. Then the Japanese woman that we just saw, she appears before them. The screen goes black and white, and she starts speaking Japanese that is unsubtitled, so I have no idea what she said. See, I was going to ask that because I was because I was watching this scene in 1.5. Right. So sometimes when you're watching and fast forward, subtitles don't come up. Right. So I didn't know if I, – I wasn't going to go back and rewatch it, so I figured I'd just ask. No, this is just Scott Shaw being a weeboo. Uh, All right. <laughs> being a weeboo. I have no idea who this character is, or what her significance is, or why. She and she's never seen. She's never seen again. And she's never so seen here. again. This is this movie doesn't make any fucking sense. I know that's like the first thing we said, but like it literally, I have no idea what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. Because then they go to the beach. Oh boy, <laughs> what happens here? <laughs> and like and like they they create a bonfire. But like the fuel they use is is the best part about the bonfire because it's just just a stack of books. What are these books? What? I see. I didn't. I didn't look that closely. There's a I face just on the back were... on the back of it. Is this it? It's just they have a pile of books that they are burning on the beach. I know they're all. The, I know they're all the same. Book. Yes, they are. Yeah, I... but they're just pile. They're just burning a pile of books. They're burning books and for fuel. I I don't know. I don't know why. So, we are then shown that it's a full moon, Mo. Oh, yeah. And the vampires are partying again, and it looks suspiciously like the party that we saw earlier. <laughs> um, that we're going to see, like, four more times. Lucas, remember earlier, he was with, I guess, Lady Octavia, the woman uh, who was in his headquarters? Sure. She shows up at this party, and she says, The demon dogs from hell have requested that you return to your home. They laugh at her, and we never see her again for the rest of the movie. Yep. I don't know what... But then here... Okay, now I know we've been saying this movie's confusing a lot, but this one honestly was the most confusing moment for me. Because at this point, it cuts from that party scene 
to McGavin waking up. Yes, so suggesting that this might have been a dream, though I don't know why he would have dreamed that. Right, exactly. So, like, but then then it leads to the question, what was just the dream? Was the party sequence the dream? Was the entire movie a dream and now everything after that isn't? Like, it's, it's, it was so jarringly confusing. Like, I, I, I still, I, I have no fucking clue. And we know the party isn't a dream because the very next right. scene is Alexander and Katana showing up to this vampire party. Right. So they show up to the party. Katana sees a woman across the room and he appears to be like in trance. The camera goes fucking slow motion, zooms in on his face. His face is so great in this scene. It's so great. (laughs) The idea, by the way, is that he's like in trance. He's falling in love with this woman at first sight. It looks like she is literally hypnotizing him. I don't know. I didn't know what the hell was going on. So you might think, by the way, okay, these two guys, they're at the vampire party. They're going to start kicking some ass, right? They're going to start killing some vampires. No, the next thing we see is they're inside a building. We don't know. We don't know where this building is. I guess it's next to the party. Sure. And so this is just Katana that we see now. Someone with a sword comes down a hallway, and they have a very slow sword fight, Mo. This other gentleman is Japanese. So, yes, you know, like, yeah, you have to, I mean, look, I, it's, you don't have to, but you kind of have to assume that this is Dormammu. <laughs> his brother. It's supposed to be his and brother. His brother. They never have any dialogue which suggests that it's his brother. Yeah. All that happens is that they have a slow sword fight then they lock swords and just stop yeah then his brother speaks japanese and just walks off yeah and then mcg kills him mcgavin two fucking seconds later mcgavin yeah yeah i keep i'm sorry in my notes to call him mcg mcg is great that's a way better than than mcgavin yeah the the other guy yeah the brother walks outside walks down a sidewalk uh mcgavin shows up and he says that you're at a place and he goes I'm not at a place anywhere, which, by the way, suggests that he speaks English perfectly, so he could have said something in the previous scene. McGavin stakes him and kills him. Yep. Which, by the way, is supposed to make Katana, I guess, upset at him later, though that's not the reason that Katana is upset at him later. Not at all. Okay, so. So now it cuts to Katana with the girl from the party. We don't see them ever meet for the first time. They're just suddenly in a room sitting together. And they have this incredible conversation. You know, I saw you at the party, and I've never believed in love at first sight before, but I think you're someone really special. Wait for it. I'm a vampire. <laughs> I suck blood for a living. <laughs> I, I don't want you just for your flesh. I want your mind, your soul. I mean, what the fuck is going on here? By the way, there's less than 10 minutes left in this movie. Can I state for the record that the next time I go to a bar, I'm using that pickup line on a woman? And I've never believed in love at first sight before. By the way, I'm a vampire and I suck blood for a living. Do you but... do you think it's supposed to be funny when he says that? Or if there's legitimately supposed to be some sort of like romantic element to what he's saying? I, I, I wonder if there's supposed to be some kind of like gravitas to the thing. You know, like he's supposed to be like opening up to her so that she more apt to want to be with him by the way the, she, she honestly, doesn't have any lines at all in the scene does she yeah she has no no she doesn't have any lines in the entire movie most women don't um, have any like there's so little female dialogue in this movie it is weirdly suspicious yeah but uh, uh man it's, uh, it's so stupid but I, I don't think it's supposed to be funny. I honestly don't think it was meant to be funny, but it is very funny. Well, this next sequence is meant to be funny. 
that blonde woman that he that that Scott Shaw picked up on his motorcycle during the opening credits, she is now yep. in a room hanging out with a vampire, and she's talking. Yes. About, yeah, sorry. No, I'm saying I'm just saying yes. And she's just talking about how she loves guys in bands. And the vampire says that he was in a band in hell with all the guys who choked on their own vomit. So, you know, he was in like an all-star rock band, Mo. Name some of your favorite musicians who choked on vomit, Mo. Oh, well, let's see. There's Mama Cass. Mama Cass? Uh, I don't know. Who else choked on vomit? I believe Hendrix might have choked on vomit. Oh, yeah, maybe. I believe John Bonham choked on vomit. Oh, that's, that's a shame. I believe Keith Moon also did. So that's something. Oh, man, those two are going to have to fight out over who's going to be the drummer hey, for this band. Hey, hey, why have one drummer when you can have two, bro? Oh, like the jam bands. Anyway, McGavin comes into the room, even though we don't see his face at first. We just see his legs. And yeah. they look up at him without any sense of fear at all, and he just stakes the guy. He just kills him. And then he says this to the girl. I just love guys in bands. Oh, no, this is the whole sequence. I, uh, I just oh, thank goodness. <laughs> really? Done in hell. Who was in it? All those guys that died choking on their own vomit. Cool. <laughs> so now they're just staring at someone as they come in the room. Th- that's the sound of someone getting killed. And he says, Just say no to vampires. <sighs> so for anyone who wasn't alive in the early 90s, or in the 80s, <laughs> Consider yourself blessed, I guess. I don't know. Uh, there was a woman named Nancy Reagan, and she was the wife <laughs> of former U.S. President Ronald Reagan, um, who was not a good president at all, by the way. No matter what your parents no. might tell you, and his wife, no. uh, and he believed his wife believed in astrology. Which, again, if you do, listener, that's fine. However, if you're helping running to run the country, do not believe in that fucking nonsense. Um, and right. anyway, her uh, way to combat drug use in uh, youth populations was to suggest that kids just say no to drugs, Mo. Yeah, it's legitimately one of the worst anti-drug campaigns in the history of mankind because basically it made every single kid at per- that I knew want to go out and try drugs because like, oh man, they're telling you to say no? Let's go try them. And also, I, also the one- I, w- I waited... I waited 20 years to do it, but, you know, whatever. And that one weirdly religious kid in your class who said, who just said, I'm saying no to drugs, then they would beat the living hell out of him. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you, little wiener? Right. Weirdo. <laughs> so Marcus is talking to um, a, a vampire, a female vampire. Marcus. Yeah, and she's trying to tell, she's trying to explain to him that hell isn't a vampire. Yes, that, Al- I guess that Marcus- Alexander Hell is not a vampire, which he, you think he'd yeah. already know that. I thought he did. But I would assume that he would know that. This, I think, is the, the first woman who woke up Alexander Hell to have sex with him. I think. M- maybe, I, I don't know. But she, she kind of turns him on to the idea that, like, have you ever seen him, like, have you seen him drink blood here? Yeah. You know, like, on Earth. And she, and he's like, well, you know, but it's like, but he had seen him drink blood a lot of times in <laughs> Apparently hell. Apparently in hell, Alexander Hell was just drinking blood all the time. Because why the fuck yeah, not? Why not? And this right. leads into your favorite part of the entire movie, Mo. My favorite conversation in the entire movie is just these two people going back and forth for like a solid two minutes of just, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you. No, you. It's why is that in the ins- movie? 
It's the most childish fucking thing I have ever seen. And we have seen some goddamn childish things in some of these movies. I remember a movie, Mo, where it had Barbie dolls with sex noises put over it. This is more childish than that. And I would, yeah, I would argue this is more childish. (laughs) It goes on forever, and it's so goddamn stupid. And, like, let me just remind you again. There's, like, five minutes left in this fucking movie. This is when everything is supposed to be reaching a fever pitch. But here's the thing with Zen filmmaking. Can't go wrong. This is perfect. Yeah, no, it's a perfect film. So then we get uh, we get Alexander Hell talking to some guy in a hallway. I don't know who it is because it's so goddamn echoey in this hallway that I can't understand what either one of them is saying. I do. All I know is that he is that he seems to kick the guy to death. Yeah. So Alexander sees the guy and he's like he's like buddy buddy with him, but the guy immediately is hostile, right? And uh, yeah. and they start pushing each other. And um, he says something like, "Down there, I can only hurt you. Up here, I can kill you." And then the the vampire goes, "You forgot, I'm already dead." But you're right. It's awful. Alexander does a big spinning kick and apparently kills him. Yeah. But then he says, like, sleep tight. Yeah, so I guess he just knocked him out. Yeah, I don't know. So And then we then the fucking random ass jump cut. Uh I believe this is the one where it jump cuts to like some like dragon statues. Just briefly to a dragon statue. Then we see a woman yeah. sleeping. Uh yeah. and then McGavin shows up and he's going to stake this sleeping woman. I don't know who she is. Then um Alexander shows up, and at first, McGavin's like, uh-oh. And then he's like, no, man. I want to kill this vampire bitch from hell. Yeah, this is another one of those dot, dot, dot moments. Yep. And so he just stakes her, Alexander does, and McGavin goes, not bad for an amateur just out of hell. And, and I think Alexander <laughs> goes, another notch. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> this movie is garbage. Uh. <laughs> Okay, so then there's a woman who's coming up a spiral staircase, and this is the woman that Katana fell in love with like five minutes ago. And yeah. and coming down the stairs is McGavin, who as like people are just like teleporting from place to place now, right? There's no transition scenes at all at this point. McGav- nope. McGavin grabs her and kills her, but he notices after uh, driving the stake through her heart that there's blood on the stake, and he goes, "My God, what have what I if- done?" What have I done? Yeah. What a fucking stupid movie. We're so close to the end, Mo. We're getting there. Now, Katana and... I think we got about, I think we got about ten minutes left. No, this is going to zoom by because it's mostly all action. Yeah, it's just fight scenes. So Katana and Alexander are now in a big room and it's full of vampires. They're surrounded by them. Uh, one of them is the guy from the very beginning that, that Alexander let go and he says, I'll see you later. This is him now seeing him. Uh, later. Yeah. So that one of the vampires uh, says this. I told you we'd meet again, Alexander. Time for you two to die. I love. I love that guy. It's a big close up of his face, and he goes, "Time for it's, you two to die." It's such an extreme close up. It's, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. This is one of those scenes where both Alexander and Katana have swords, and they refuse to use them for the whole scene. Yep. So this is a big, massive fight, mostly in slow motion. The fight <clears throat> lasts for like a minute. They kick a couple of people, even though there was a room full of vampires. And then suddenly all the vampires are gone. And by the way, all the action, Katana doesn't do anything. It's just Alexander kicking a couple of people. Yeah. it's What a bizarre... that This is like the climactic sequence of the entire movie. Yeah. And, like, and so he lets the gate guy live. 
Uh, so he can go back to guarding the gate, I, I guess. I guess. And then, yeah. then they're uh, outside, I guess, uh, you know, kind of celebrating their victory. Katana and Alexander, they run into McGavin, and Katana wants to kill him because because he stabbed his girlfriend, Natasha, the first time she gets her fucking name said. Um, right. Which, by the way, I was like, oh, that's who that was? He killed his girlfriend? Alexander stops Katana from killing McGavin. I don't know how Katana found out about his girlfriend dying like that, by the way. Uh, we, right. That would have been a great scene to include where Katana finds her body with a stake in it. He's like, this was McGavin's work or something like that. Hey, look, I'm not te- right. I'm not telling Scott Shaw to make a movie. I wouldn't dare. I'm just a critic. I don't know things. Alexander stops Katana from killing McGavin, and, and they basically call it a truce. But what I wanted to point out, Mo, <clears throat> is that McGavin is wearing a Hard Rock Cafe baseball cap in the scene. <laughs> Look, don't buy a don't buy a hat or have a hat made for your movie. Just pick up the one that you were going to wear anyway. Zen filmmaking. So now, at some point later, we're coming to the uh, end of the movie where things are just going to wrap up very neatly. Alexander is making out with that blonde woman who liked band members. We don't. I don't know where their relationship formed. Uh, I don't know how they know each other. I don't know if she's a vampire. I guess she's not. They're just making out. I mean, he clearly he's in a band. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then Lucas shows up, Mo, and what happens? All right, so Lucas shows up and Hell demands his payment. But Lucas is like, fuck that shit, dude. Yes. And, uh, and snaps his fingers, and there's some weird, like, jarring quick pan back and forth that I guess is supposed to indicate that these people all just randomly uh, like magically showed up, so to speak. Right. But they're, but they're all standing there while this quick pan, which is not nearly quick enough happens. And there's now all these people standing there. And immediately Katana and Alexander just laugh at these guys. And you're like, you, you as the viewer are like, Oh yeah, laugh now, but they're going to prove themselves to be a tough challenge. They're not Alexander and Katana take care of them in seconds because they're they're to the point to the point that they even put down their swords and say we're not going to need these. Yeah, we're not going. And they didn't. And at one point, there's a yeah. guy with nunchucks, and he shows off his skills. And Alexander steals the nunchucks, shows off his own skills, and then just whacks him over the head with a fucking nunchuck. Yeah, like I and I love the fact that like Alexander Hell takes his leather jacket off to reveal like this weird fucking hippie paisley shirt. Yep. <laughs> With a, with a fucking leather vest on over it. So I'm like, okay, so he has a shirt, a vest, and a jacket on. Anyway, the shirt is really what's what's key here, because it's fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Unfortunately, yeah. after killing all these guys, they put their jackets back on. And now Lucas is just there by himself. And by the way, they're not like pissed at Lucas. They're like, okay, now time to give us the keys to your fucking mansion. And then... Right. Oh, yeah, please. I want you to tell me exactly what happens now. <laughs> This is it. This is the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. All right. So, uh, at this point, they've yeah they've done they've done away with all the vampires. It's just it's just uh, Lucas left. Lucas, in his wisdom, uh, pulls a stake out and runs at Katana. Um, uh-huh. and it sounds a little like this. Yeah. Let's have a Go little ahead, listen. Wanna... And by the way, let's let's. Listen to his death. Oh, death noise. Yeah, yeah. We have some theories on this. All right, one, let's, so. let's let's have a little listen right now. Well, well hold on, hold on, okay. real quick. Uh, no, it's okay. So we have to notice that, like, because you don't, you you probably won't hear it, 
but in between him, the first part and the second part, he gets tripped. Yeah, so he goes, like, Katana! And then someone trips him, and he falls on his own stake. Right. All right, so let's have a little listen. Well, Lucas, looks like it's all over. Uh, gotta hand me the keys, if you please. <laughs> Katana! <laughs> now that was his death noise just then i'm pretty sure that is a is that a godzilla noise we're fairly certain that that's like a 70s godzilla noise like that's utterly ridiculous because the only other thing i could think of that it sounds like but i think this came well uh, when did dumb and dumber come out oh shit yeah no that didn't come out until 1994 Oh, okay. No, that because said, it the, sounds, the, the, the it sounds credits... so much like the world's most annoying noise. Wait, let's see if I can pull that up right now. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys, guys, guys! Wait, I gotta hear. Okay. I gotta hear both of them back to back. I know this is gonna make it more difficult for me to edit, but I'm. I gotta fucking do it. All right, let's listen to the sound again. Well, Lucas, looks like it's all over. Uh gotta hand me the keys if you please want to hear the most annoying sound in the world yeah it's the exact sound it's the exact one (laughs) so even though this movie came out in 1992 and Dumb and Dumber didn't come out for two years later apparently he re-edited it at some point and put the noise from Dumb and Dumber as the most irritating noise in the world, as the death scream of this guy. Wow. Mo, what the fuck is up with this movie? <laughs> oh my god. What, what, like, just an utter piece of shit. I mean, it's like, over, I, by the way. You know, the movie is over. It's done. Yeah, that was, that was the end of the movie. Like, like, he falls, he makes that fucking noise. Roll credits. The end. It's over. Uh, My fucking God. And the movie, by the way, the closing credits are every single cast member's name listed individually, like one after the other. It's just white text on a black screen. Like not not like a rolling text, just name, name, name. Every single cast member with no pictures of who they were in the movie. Yep. That was Samurai Vampire Bikers from Helmo from the year 1992, directed by Scott Shaw. What'd you think? Oh, has have, have I not made that abundantly clear? Yet? I think it's good. Um, it's a good opportunity to sum up your thoughts, Mo. Okay, I think this is an ineptly made, uh, really poorly edited. Um, I mean, it's an interesting idea if he had actually sure. gone somewhere with it. Like, like I mean, the idea of weird. I'm not going to go with the samurai or biker. Who cares about any of that shit? But I mean, vampires from hell is actually a really interesting idea. But that's where this movie ends. Like, there's no... There's no follow-through on the idea because of his zen filmmaking philosophies. You know? Like, how about this, dude? Take fucking 20 goddamn minutes. Write a fucking script. You know? Maybe work on some dialogue. Build a set or two. Or have some kind of fucking uh, props to use other than the katana swords that you clearly owned before you started filming. I... You know? And, 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 and make a better movie. You know? Like, this movie could... This movie had the potential to be 
at least really fun. I am hesitant to condemn the concept of Zen filmmaking. I'm not from 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 just seeing this movie because this was from 1992. He's making movies Mm. up to this day, including many, many more, including Rock and Roll Cops, Max Hell, Frog Warrior Mo. There's, there's. I mean, he's made many, many movies. Uh, Blade Sisters. And, here, and, and and you and you already know the answer to this question. But would I watch another one of his movies? Absolutely, I would because I want to see where he's progressed beyond this movie. Because where this movie fails, I'd like to hope that maybe one of his look. You don't work in an industry for twenty, thirty fucking years and not get better. You just don't. Even if it's only marginally, you get better. So I'd almost like to watch one of his more recent movies and see where he's gone with it. Not for six, seven months, but, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there eventually. Like, I really, I see us revisiting this director. Absolutely, especially because he's worked yeah. with a lot of kind of low-budget luminaries, including people like yeah. Conrad Brooks and Robert Zadar and things like that. So people that, that you know, he... he Seems to have progressed, you had, and you a, had to mention Conrad. Yeah, huh? the, and in fact, mention. we should mention here that uh, since our last recording, uh, Conrad Bruce yeah. has sadly passed away. Uh, we've only featured him in one movie here. Uh, what's that movie again, Mo? Jengal. Jengal. Um, and we did not much care for it, but he was a definitely a, a, a fun personality and someone that you. He was a. Yeah. He was a character. He was a character. I have my. I have. I have my Conrad Brooks story. So I'm. I, I'm. Glad I'm glad I was able to meet him, even though the uh, the the meeting itself was awkward at best. Uh, I will say that I have a reasonable, I think, amount of filmmaking knowledge, um, and and not just as a critic, but certainly, you know, we've we've certainly we've talked to filmmakers, we know filmmakers. Um, in fact, we've worked on films. We've worked you know on films, I mean, absolutely. We, yeah, and uh, those six tenets of Zen filmmaking. Do not follow those if you're going to make a movie. No, some, some of them not. I think are actually really good uh, advice. Things like you know, if you want to make a movie, go out and do it, or at least start doing it. Yeah, just but I'll do tell it. you what, exactly. You probably don't want to release that first one you make, or if you do want to release it, you know, keep it on the the put it on YouTube and let people make comments and take that criticism to heart because that's how you get better, right? It's by doing it, especially now that it's all available to you. But we've gone through this again and again. But the idea, again, if you can't afford to build sets. That's fine, right? Sometimes you have to find the locations. That's re- that's fine as well. And sometimes unpredictable things will happen, and you can try to take a negative mm-hmm. and turn it into a positive. But that is not your ethos. That's not what you're building your movie on. You build the structure of a script and planning and storyboards because then when those things happen, it, you still have to be flexible. You still have to be able to move around and get around those those uh, difficulties But and so they won't kill your movie. So that's important. But you also need to have that framework because otherwise the final product isn't going to make any fucking sense. Yep. Like this movie. I mean, and, I mean, unless you're, I mean, like if you're intentionally going for some kind of like avant-garde art kind of film, then yeah, maybe you want to just go crazy with it. That's fine. But I mean, like the level of talent alone that it takes to pull something like that off and make it not just be a pretentious pile of shit, you know, because let's face it. Like, a good 90% of art films are just pretentious piles of shit, <laughs> you know? Uh, but there are that handful that are fucking fantastic. They come a couple of times a generation, if you're lucky. I Again, I, I, I shouldn't... This this isn't one of those. I'm just going to say that the tenets of Zen filmmaking, from what I saw in this movie, seem to be very ineffective. I am 
perfectly 100% willing to eat my words if we see one of his later movies and we really enjoy it because then maybe you know what yeah. maybe that that speed that excitement that enthusiasm keeping everything moving if you could feel that in the final product where everything feels like it's kind of pushing forward because of the momentum of making the movie then I'm willing to say that that I was completely 100% wrong but I'll tell you based on this movie alone it, do- it doesn't work and also this movie alone is terrible it's horrible and i would say by the way yeah like I, this is obviously isn't one of the worst movies that we saw well i shouldn't say it's no it's it's i'll tell you it's the worst movie we've seen since our 100th episode <laughs> i mean it, i mean like honestly this might break top 10 for yeah. the worst movies we've watched you know maybe maybe arguably even top five but i mean it's it, it's it's bad but, like, again, it's not going to stop me from wanting to watch another one of this guy's movies because I want to see how he's progressed. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty rough. Um, by the way, Scott Shaw was offered the role of gang leader in Batman Forever, but when he turned it down, the role eventually went to Don the Dragon Wilson. Interesting. That was Samurai Cops... <clears throat> that was... <laughs> <laughs> You got to keep that in. <laughs> that was Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell from 1992. Uh, very poor, very poor movie that uh, has a very lurid title that drew me in. And even though the tagline is "It's all the hell you can handle," I probably could have handled a little bit more. I could have handled a lot more hell. In fact, there's no hell in this movie. Well, it's hell to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, where can people find Materials? No Budget Nightmares on the internet? Oh, well, if they want to, they can go right onto Facebook, pop onto facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares, one word, or just do a quick search for No Budget Nightmares, join the community, get involved in the discussion, uh, so that Gary Bowden isn't the only person posting on our page. <laughs> uh, and of course, you can find the latest episodes of No Budget Nightmares over at dorkshelf.com, or if you want to find archived episodes, go over to nobudgetpodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter at nobudgetpodcast.com. All one word. You can, of course, find Mo on Twitter at Drunk on VHS. You can find me on Twitter at Correct. At, Mo checks it every couple of weeks. And you can find me on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. E Y. Mo, what's coming up? I actually, I actually, I actually check my Twitter every day. I just don't write for every couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah. So if you want to leave Mo a comment, Twitter is a good place to do it. Or you can always send us an email yeah. as well. Mo, what are we going to feature? on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares. I'm not going to lie. I already forgot the title. Well, thankfully, I have it right here in front of me. Thank goodness. On the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, Mo, we're going to jump forward in time to the year 1997 for director Ron Atkins' schizophrenic, Mm. The Whore Mangler. Right. This is one that's been recommended. In fact, the entire filmography of Ron Atkins has been uh, recommended to us several times in the past. This will be our first experience with his movie's most schizophrenic, The Whore Mangler. I'm excited. Hey, anything to stop me from thinking about Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell. Right. Hey, you got the name right. Scott Shaw, we will return to your films. But for now, you go in the closet. Coming out, Schizophrenic, The Whore Mangler. Ron Atkins, you're on board on the next episode of No Budget nightmares but what have you been up to lately uh not much i mean like okay so basically there is a uh youtube show or it's a twitch show that they put on youtube of of 
voice actors playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. It's called Critical Role. Yeah. I was about 10 episodes behind, and each episode is like four hours long. So I spent a really long time playing catch up on the show. And now I'm officially all caught up. They finished their first campaign. It was fucking fantastic. I was super happy about that. And basically any other time I wasn't doing that, I was playing video games because I am goddamn addicted to to fucking Friday the 13th. (laughs) It is so much fucking fun. Um, You know, if you play... Leave a message, uh, if you play on PlayStation 4, I should say. Leave a message on our, on our Facebook group. Maybe I will add you as a friend and we'll play sometime. I, uh, I haven't watched Critical Role yet. I have, uh, that, that service called, uh, VRV on PlayStation 4. Oh, yeah, right, 4. right, right, yeah. And I'll tell you, man, I've, I've only got like the 30 day free trial for it. It's a yeah. fucking great service. It, it, yeah. Well, I mean, it comes with, uh, all the, uh, subscription stuff for Geek and Sundry, which has Critical Role on it. And all, right, right, right. all the stuff for Nerdist, but also comes with Shudder. It comes with uh, Mubi, M-U-B-I, which has all the art films on it. It's got tons huh. and tons. Of, and, of course, it comes with all the anime stuff on it as well. But, honestly, hell, man, if you haven't done it yet, just do a 30-day trial. It comes with all of that shit. It, it'll keep you busy for a month. Of course, I know you got your video games to play. Well, I mean, I've, I you know, like, that. my video games generally are from about now. Like, honestly, as soon as we finish recording i'll 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 pop on and i'll probably play until about three in the morning um and then like when i wake up in the morning that's when i do all my other stuff so when i wake up uh, but i know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you uh don't make me haver (laughs) um (laughs) but uh but tomorrow actually i have the uh the grand plan of revisiting the informant which i've been meaning to watch again for a very long time i've only seen it once i saw it in the theaters i fucking loved it and uh, i just keep forgetting to rewatch it so i'm gonna re i'm gonna watch that again tomorrow because that's a great fucking movie mo have you watched any movies yourself lately Mm-mm. well mo i watched i honestly i, I haven't I-, I watched two holiday themed movies oh yeah one is a movie that you're aware of i'm sure called rare exports Oh, yeah, I know Rare Exports. From the director of Big Game, which uh, came out a couple years ago with Samuel L. Jackson. But Rare Exports is sort of a, um, I don't want to fuck up the country. I think it's Finland. Is that where it's from? I believe it's, I believe, I believe it's Finnish. It's yeah. Finnish, right? And they basically, you know, they, they, it's, it's not really a horror movie. It's sort of kind of a dark comedy, um, but it's really stylish. I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this has probably checked out Rare Exports. But a second movie I watched, Mo, was, is called Sint, also known as Saint Nick. Have you heard of this movie? No, it's by Dick Moss, um, the uh, the Amsterdam based director of. You know, he directed the movie called Amsterdam. He also made that movie called The Lift, which is about a killer uh, elevator. Yeah, as you um, say, I'm familiar with The Lift. Yeah, it, it, there's actually an American version, I think, of The Lift as well. But anyway, this uh, is another killer Saint Nicholas movie, also very dark humored, really violent. It's actually a lot of fun. It's a uh, if if it's exactly what you would want that kind of movie to be. There's uh, some nice so uh, so like so like Santa Slay, yeah. I mean, it is. It's in that kind of mold, except it's taken a little bit more seriously, and it's oh, given more of a because I love Santa. I love Santa Slay. I like. I am unrepentant about how much I love that stupid fucking movie. Uh, well, but it, I mean, this movie is stupid too, but it, yeah. it is it is stupid in a very self aware way. Mm. Well, so I mean, I'm, I will say that uh, it's commonly available in a dubbed version. And the dubbed version is fucking unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the worst dubs I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of shitty dubs. Wow. 
Moa, is there any movie that you want to see in the theater? Oh, you know what? I just did watch a movie in the theater. Fuck me. What? I totally forgot. I watched uh, Thor Ragnarok in the theater. What'd you think, Mo? Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I like I like Taika Watiti, man, he did a great fucking job with that. And like the character, I can never remember the fucking dude's name, but the character he voiced in it. Yeah, he's great. Eh? Like I want an entire movie of him and Meek, you know. They are that's oh man, that was so much fun. It's a great movie. Super enjoyed it. Uh, I'd really like to see uh, Last Jedi as well at some point, but I'm fairly broke until the new year, so we'll see if it's still in theaters then. It should be. If you've yet to see it, check out Hunt for the Wilder People, also by Taika Waititi. Oh, I've uh, seen. Oh, I've I've seen I've seen everything he's done. I fucking love yeah. it. I'm talking to the yeah. audience now, Mo. But oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm reiterating. I am reiterating to the audience. It is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. My usual Christmas Day uh, um, uh, thing to do, Mo, is my wife and I go and watch movies all days, all day in the theater instead of spending time with family. And that's what we're going to do this year. Hopefully, there will be movies that we actually want to fucking watch because yeah, otherwise, right. we just go to movies that we don't give a shit about. Uh, but uh, there's got to be something good out, right? Maybe I'll go see that I, Star Wars movie. Yeah, why not? Do it. Why not? Mo, on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, Schizophreniac, the Whore Mangler. Woohoo! Why is it called schizophreniac? I don't know. Maybe he I has mean, multiple I guess personalities. It's schizophrenia. I mean, it's like schizophrenia, but like schizophrenia. So it's probably schizophreniac, the horn mangler. I'm looking forward to it, Mo. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's got a great title. But Mo, this is our so last this. episode. This is our last episode of 2017. Do you have any uh, uh, enduring memories of the previous year that you want to share with people before we finish up? Nothing positive. No. All right. Well. I mean, Ladies like, like you know, obviously, you know, I've I've had a blast. You know, another year doing the show. I love the audience. I love another doing year. The show, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to sound exasperated. It's just it's late and I'm getting tired. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was it's it. This is it hasn't been a great year overall, but the show's been great, so I'm happy about that. Absolutely. At least, at least you didn't get burned alive. At least I didn't get burned alive, which was actually a uh-huh. very real option. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, keep on listening to No Budget Nightmares. Go over to No Budget Podcast. Why don't you leave us a review on iTunes? You can also support us on Patreon if you go to, over to the uh, account. Luckily, Patreon decided to get their heads out of their asses and are not going to be charging people who support us. We're actually going to be revamping our Patreon in the new year uh, and, and putting a few more features in there. Uh, and we'll give updates on that when we can. And, of course, go over to the Facebook group for all the latest news but with that i think it's time for us to say good night mo no more samurai vampire bikers from hell thank goodness good night folks good night everybody you know i saw you at the party and i've never believed in love at first sight before but i think you're someone really special i'm a vampire i suck blood for a living but i'm not like those other guys i don't want you just for your flesh i want your mind your soul 